Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode season two, episode seven. Uh, I am your lived experience host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm your specialist host, um, relationship counsellor and psychotherapist, Mark Fielding. Um, welcome back for another episode. We had a little bit of a break last week because um, uh, we've not done the episode since World Mental Health Day. Um, I haven't been able to mention that we reached a thousand listeners recently. Um, just want to say thank you to everyone that's tuned in and all the guests as well that have come on that helped us reach that goal. Um, yeah, and today's topic is animal-assisted therapy, and um, we will be um, joined by our guest shortly. Um, so animal-assisted therapy, I did a little bit of research before. They can include animals from dogs, cats, to small small animals such as guinea pigs, um, rabbits, reptiles, uh, and horses. Um, I'd like to introduce our guest today, uh, Sarah McDonald. She's joining us and she's going to be chatting a little bit about animal assisted therapy. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. And hi, Mark. Uh, yes, it's really great to be able to talk about animal assisted therapy with you guys. Yeah, so could you just tell us a little bit about your background in relation to animal assisted therapy? Yeah, sure. Um, I started off, I used to be a high school teacher. I did a master's of education and um, became an English and um, social studies or history teacher, um, which I absolutely loved. I loved reaching out to the kids and working um, and trying to improve young people's lives. Um, but like many of the statistics, five years into it, I was absolutely burnt out and decided to take a little bit of a break for a while. Um, in which in the time I did that, I had um, my own dog at home that was causing me a lot of problems. She was just um, a bit of an out of control beastie. And so I became a dog trainer, mostly just to help myself understand my dog. But um, I got a job at a kennel that worked on doing, uh, um, they worked on rehabilitation of dogs. And then there was also a side part of the business that did animal assisted therapy and teaching people how to um, become and um, use their dogs for animal assisted therapy. So I became a little bit interested in that. Started thinking that the um, issues I was getting with the dogs and when they were stopping learning or when they were starting to become aggressive or fearful uh, was similar to the kids as well. So if they didn't understand, if they were anxious, if, um, if their emotional needs weren't met, they weren't going to learn. And so there were a lot of crossovers that I saw. So while I'm training all these dogs and doing this, my teacher brain keeps ticking over. And I started writing some programs, some curriculum um, on how to understand dog training and by doing that, understanding your own learning. So then I became really interested in animal assisted therapy, obviously dogs, but um, being in the industry now, I um, meet many people and talk to people who have, as you said, um, equine assisted therapy. There's some um, psychologists I know that even have like lizards um, and guinea pigs and those sort of things. And um, but I set up a business called Canine Comprehension and we go into schools or work outside of the schools with kids who are school refusers to um, help them 
get to a place where they're ready to learn. So we work a lot with kids um, with anxiety, with ADHD, um, on the autism spectrum, as well as just kids that are not enjoying the community of school. And so we help them get back into schools with the use of our friendly, happy dogs. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm so struck by the breadth of the experience that you bring to what you do. I mean, wow. I mean, you have experience in, you know, I mean, the the, air, you know, the, the areas that you've, you've, you've spent time learning in all, all, all kind of coalesced and came together. Yeah. It's fascinating. It, and, and it really did just come together. It's not that I ever um, thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to need this training, this training to build this business. Uh, it, it did just sort of fall in place. And, and then once I had my experiences as a dog trainer, I realised, gosh, there's something really unique about melding these two things. Mm. Um, and, and obviously there is. We, we fill a niche. We're in loads of schools. In, we're in Victoria in Australia. Um, and it's growing and growing. So, yeah, I, I hit on to something and um, have just continued. That, that was about seven years ago we started. And now it's like we just keep growing. And it's been a really good time things. as well. Sorry. Yep, it's been a really so good time you. to do this episode as well because um, Dan Andrews has just invested a lot of money into therapy in schools, like animal assisted therapy in schools. Um, was it yeah, 250 right, million or something? I think it was. Have gone into yeah, yeah, some, something like that. Um, and, and and we were the ones on the um, uh, with with Dan Andrews there and and oh, with. Wow. Um, the Minister of Education. So our Chelsea was there with her dog, Zhuzh, at the announcement. And so it was oh, our wow. company that was able to be part of the press conference, which was really exciting. Awesome. And it was good to be able to get some of my staff to be recognised as well, because, you know, I feel like a bit of the puppeteer in the background, but they're the ones doing the great work now. So, yeah, yeah. So what that means is that it, it, it will money... Um, the mental health school fund will mean that schools will be able to access money directly and be able to use it for a different a number of different things on this, on the menu. Um, but they will really be able to cater for what their students need. So, it, it, I'm I'm really for it. It seems like a really good idea, and um, we just need to get it rolled out now. Yeah, it's definitely something that was missing when I was in school. I think I could have really done with something like that when I was in school because we didn't have anything really just really our parents yeah, and our support network outside of school yeah I, I speak to a lot of parents who wish you, you know that they sort of muddled along and now they see how we can help their kids or how other other groups that there's a lot more help for mental health and it's a lot of more being able to just talk about it more freely um, and parents say you know it, it that's not their experience at all, you know. Sometimes there was a school counsellor, but even even so, with a lot of people, there was a lot of embarrassment about talking about mental health when um, our kids' parents were at school. So it's it's nice to see a big change like that. And, mm -hmm. and Joe, you talk about lived experience. I do the same. So I have generalised anxiety disorder. Um, and I'm, I'm quite ha happy to talk to my staff about how that does and doesn't affect different parts of my job and my life and um, 
And I always say to my staff, you know, we want to be as authentic as possible. That doesn't mean um, pouring out your heart to everyone you see, but it, it does mean, you know, um, being okay with those things that, that you know, makes, makes up the unique person that we all are. And then something on your, on your website, which really struck me, and then I've got, excuse me if I'm, if I'm kind of paraphrasing it wrong, but you had on there, you know, we give people hope, with, which I thought was kind of wonderful. Mm, yeah, it, it it is. And it, I think we came to that idea because often we were being, in the early days with our, our company, we were being contacted as the last option. So being contacted by Department of Education or Department of Health and Human Services or parents and schools directly this student or these group students have had other industries come in and they've, they've done a number of things and it hasn't worked. So I think then they've seen animal assisted therapy as them thinking outside the box and it's like, it's worth, it's worth a try. We've tried everything else. And uh, they've noticed that where we're lucky with animal assisted therapy is that the kids want to make the relationship with the dog. That kids, if they have had um, a lot of hit and misses um, on their mental health journey, they're kind of sick of seeing another human, another person. Oh, this is another person yeah. who's going to say they're going to, you know, help. And, um, and especially, especially with kids with trauma or kids in residential care who see people that are there to help them, but they come and go very quickly. So they don't want to make relationship with another person coming along but they really want to make a relationship with the dog and and it, it, it sort of breaks down those barriers and makes our tutors role and and when I talk about tutor we call them tutors they're either um, people who have a background in education so ex-teachers or current teachers or people who have background in social work or psychology and mental health um, and they've got their therapy dog so it allows that tutor that person to uh, work with the young person a lot and we get through a lot faster we we get to have a lot more real conversations because we're often talking about it through the dog and, and, and what I mean by that it sounds really hippie it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be things like I would walk into a classroom with eight kids and we're you know we're going to be talking about not wanting to be at school and I'll just say, oh, you know, Minnie's looking really frightened. She's she's looking up at the ceiling and she wants to go and hide under a desk. Or, and I'm like, Minnie's not good with places that she hasn't been before. This is a new environment for her. Um, so she's a little bit scared. What can we do for Minnie to make her feel more at home and more relaxed or to know she's safe? And so the kids will talk about that. And what they're really, what we're really doing is we're talking about ourselves we're talking about skills that we can do but we're doing it in a safe place by talking by using mini as the um as the conversation point there mm. yeah. yeah there's yeah. a lot of therapists the psychologists i used to see who i'm going back to see now uh, a lot of the people at that clinic have uh, their own dogs so I, I never really got to meet my psychologist's dog but um I've seen obviously seen some of the other ones with their dogs in there, and they have like the the kennels outside, um. But they do equine mm -hmm. therapy as well, and other types of therapy in that one. But I never <laughs> really got to meet the dog or anything that my psychologist has. But I I can see how 
the animals can help a lot because they kind of give you that warm feeling and make you feel at ease. I, I just, I've got dogs myself. I've got two Samoids and we just recently got a German Shepherd puppy. Um, and like, honestly, they do make you feel so much better. Like you can be having a like, down day, almost depressed day. And just having a cuddle with your dogs makes you feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And they, so, sorry, yeah. Mark. I was just going to oh, say and, they bring and... a lot of joy. Yeah, they just bring a lot. Of, I've got a corgi puppy. She's eleven oh. months, and you know it's, it's really difficult to have any experience other than joy. Really, when you're when you're with a puppy, isn't it? Yeah, and and they're not they they they're very good at living in the moment. They you know they they're not worrying yeah. about what's what's happened before, what's going to happen. So that tends to rub off on us, and yeah, and and also they um, really just want a connection and an authentic connection they want to please so we tend to then want to go into in sync with them as well so I find that and and speaking to other therapists as well that have animals in the room well I'm a teacher speaking to therapists that have animals in the room um they say that the the animal may not always be directly used so um they the dog just may be curled up in the corner sleeping or the guinea pig may just be in their little cage but it just makes the animal makes the whole situation a whole lot more human and real because people are used to having animals around and and people do relax more I also think about when I go to a park with my dogs people talk to me straight away we talk about our dogs and it's it's really easy to sort of make friends that you they don't um, remember my name they remember my dog's name and I don't remember the human's names I'm like oh you're Fluffy's owner and, and all of that but that um, connection with another person becomes a lot easier um, if you go down to the same park without the dog it, it makes it a lot harder so having those animals we, we do drop our guard a little bit and um, and relax a lot more so yeah you can see how it's just you know really becoming more and more normalized in, um, in mental health. I'm very interested, and we don't use horses um, because, as you could imagine, we can go up to four schools in a day. You could imagine trying to get a horse in and out of four schools during a day would be a lot harder than dogs. Um, but the amazing thing with horses in therapy is, like, a, a dog, you could still pick up and move and, and, and take them first place. If you can't horse if you're going to lead a horse or you're going to pick up a foot or you're going to get their attention you can't physically drag them anywhere so you really have to work out how you're going to meet some sort of trust before you even start and and watching um i've, I've seen some equine therapists work and and watching them um work with people who are used to um either having their body language intimidating so that they'll get people to do things um, doesn't work with the horses. So it means that people need to rethink how they're approaching different things. And so that's great with the animals who really use, yeah. And there's yeah, something fine. about, I mean, sorry, Joe, I mean, equine therapy, again, is something I don't, I don't know that much about, but, you know, I've been kind of around horses and done a little bit of horse show, and there's something about, the fact that horses are so powerful, but also so wonderfully calm 
often. There's just something mm-hmm. about that is now I think must be so helpful when people are, you know, are, are having equine therapy. There's something really beautiful about horses, really. There really is. I um I live on a um on 13 acres near Mansfield and I've got three horses. And I, I just say, you know, they're my therapy as well. And um there is because they're herd animals animals, but they're very happy to let humans sort of be a semi part of that. If you um, can meditate with your horses or practice mindfulness and really be at ease, your horses will come around you and be at ease too. And it's like all of these giant snoozing horses and me just sitting on the ground, you know, just having them around. It's it's amazing. It really is. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of power in these animals for us. You've mentioned a few times, you know, the kind of mindfulness, the present moment focus with the dogs. And I just wonder whether you could perhaps, I don't know, if we could unpack that a little bit. and mm. We could talk a little bit more because this seems to be a big part of it, really, getting people to really be in the moment. And You know, dogs have a lot yeah. to teach us in that regard, don't they? I think. They do. So it, it, I think it happens naturally with our relationship with dogs, you know. But, yes, for canine comprehension for my business, um, all of our sessions have a mindfulness exercise or component in um, every single session. Um, so that started with, with the idea, first of all, that um, teaching kids mindfulness, well, teaching mindfulness, we often focus on our lungs and breath at first. But when we work with kids who haven't done it or who have a bit of a, who have disconnection with their body and, and are not comfortable in their own bodies. Um, I remember when I was a teacher and we would do breathing exercises, mostly the anxious kids would hyperventilate. So you'd yeah. ask them to focus on their breath and you'd ask them to take a big breath in and hold it and out. You'd get, <gasps> and I'm like, oh dear, that's the opposite of what we want to do. So what, what we've taught our dogs to do is, first of all, they, they lay on their side and that they know this is sort of snoozing time. And we get the kids to watch the dogs breathing. You, you do it yourself. If you're ever just watching your dog when they're asleep and their belly goes up and their belly comes down, or you'll put your hand somewhere on the dog and feel the warmth or, or put your fingers near their nose to feel the air coming in and the air coming out. We're able to do that mindfulness focus on breath without focusing on the kid's own breath. So um, we say then later on, once the kids have done this a little bit, say, look, we can't give you all a free puppy at the end of this program as much as you would like it, Um, but you do have a set of lungs in your body that you've always got. And and then from there, we get them to start moving on to their own breath. And it becomes a lot easier because they've already visualised it with their dog. But talking about visualisation, we also, we do um, visualisation activities that we um, would have the dogs wandering around in a certain area and have the kids watching the dog and just that idea of just watching nature and just letting it be without interfering, so not getting involved in what's happening, just being okay with what's happening. So we'd have the dog in a small area and they'll just be wandering around smelling grass or coming up to people, whatever it is, and then we'll ask the kids to close their eyes, we'll put the dog in a drop or put them in their um, spot away from and then to visualize 
again, that dog walking around and, uh, and just being. Um, so there's, there's a few different exercises that we have, but it's, it's just another way of bringing mindfulness has been around for thousands of years. Ever since we've had minds, I'm sure yeah. it becomes more and more important because of how busy our minds are now with technology and, and our busy lives. But um, having the dogs there is just another way for us to practice. We're not inventing anything new. The same mindfulness techniques that have been around and that are being used. Um, but just putting a bit of a focus with the dogs so the kids will stay with the exercise a little bit longer. Mm. I, I think that's fantastic. I have to say, wow. I mean, with, with the kids, just to pick up on maybe on the first part, but with, with the kids who, you know, yeah, I guess if kids are really anxious, you know, breathing is, you know, is going to make them kind of hyperventilate, feel more anxious, but first getting them to focus on the dog's breathing and then linking that then into, you know, getting them to focus on their own. I just think that's fantastic, really. I mean, mm. there was, you it's, must see, it must be so pleasing. I mean, when you, you must see a lot of results with the kids you're working with. It's so beautiful. My staff, we have a meeting on Tuesday nights usually, and we always start with, does anyone have anything positive to share? Um, and <laughs> we have a bit of a joke in there because we'll say, oh, we've got a crier and someone will be crying. And it won't be a student. It will be a teacher or a principal or a parent standing at the back watching and watching their child with ADHD who can't usually stand still or, or just their child who never has that moment to be utterly relaxed in an environment like that. And they're seeing their kid relax and they just can't believe it. And they're sobbing in the ground um, and come and talk to us later and, and, and say it's like, We've tried so many things and, and uh, you know, um, people just want to be able to give that peace of mind to their children. And it's so hard to sometimes get that link. So, yeah, when it does work, we have, we've, we've got some beautiful stories. There's a child I used to work with um, that he had been, he'd moved from, from about four schools. We followed him from school to school to school um, at, because of a, he had a range range of diagnoses um, but really when he wasn't when he felt he wasn't being listened to he'd become aggressive and start breaking things so he would move to the next school the next school he start when he started working with, with us he really loved the mindfulness he, he would put his head on the dog's belly and want to listen to the dog's heartbeat so we brought a stethoscope in so he could listen better and there'd be times that he would want to lay there. Our sessions usually go for 50 minutes. He'd want to lay there for like 15, 20 minutes. And usually our mindfulness goes for about 10 minutes, 5, 10 minutes, depending on how the kids want it. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to move this kid. If he's still happy to lie here with the dog and be still, this is the stillest he's ever been in class. So let's keep it going, you know. And it's, it's a weird thing as... Um, as a teacher, I'm like, gosh, I just spent 20 minutes laying with a kid, with a kid laying on the floor, sitting with a kid, making sure the dog was okay. What a weird job I have. But for that child, that was a really important and relaxing piece for them. And they look forward to seeing us every week or twice a week or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, I guess the child's physiology just calming down. Yeah. 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 And and then 
and like because we often take them out of the class when we work in a in, in a small area and we bring them back and you know we'll have the teachers being like oh it's so nice to have him back after he's seen the dog and because yes he's coming in a little bit more ready to listen and and that's what we say you know that's why we give hope because teachers do a great job schools everyone's wanting to do the best they can but they don't have the capacity to be able to focus to to spend with that child for that time so we can do those things so then teachers can do what they do best which is impart knowledge and get that curriculum but we've got to get them to a stage where they're um steady enough to be able to want to listen to the teacher and want to work with the other students and those sort of things mm. yeah do you feel like um what kind of breed of dogs do you tend to use for the therapy um i am completely uh i don't mind any dog it so it, it really does uh, training is the most important i would even say over personality but you know they, they come in pretty equal but breed it doesn't bother me like I like um, using rescue dogs because I love a good redemption story to be able to talk to, so especially my first two dogs um, Minnie and Oscar who are now well retired um, but both of them had fear and aggression issues um, and so talking to the kids about what that meant for them and what it meant for their life. And then when they worked through those, and it's never completely fixed, but they learned and I learned how to manage and um, build their confidence up. It's a lot of things that the kids can identify with. Um, and so, yeah, uh, the rescue dogs are great. We've got um, a few oodles in there. A lot of people talk about the, the poodle crosses being great for therapy. And um, look, they're often lovely dogs. You can't fault them. They're, they're really great. So, yeah, we've got those oodles. I would love a Samoyed Joe. I, I <laughs> rescued a Samoyed once and oh. he was, we just said he was the court jester of dogs. He was just the funniest <laughs> character. But I, I, I couldn't do the grooming. Like oh, I, our dogs need to be really clean for this work. And um, it would take half my working day grooming them. How do you go with your Samoids? <laughs> oh, we've, we've, we've got a lady that we breed, a lady that we have, um, where we got our dogs from. She They groom them like twice a year. Um, oh, brilliant. So yeah, they just really strip that coat. Yeah, they do pretty well. They don't tend to they yeah. don't drop hair that often. It's once they start in there, quite puffy. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Get their winter yeah. coat or their summer coat. Yeah, but we uh, we've got a few Australian shepherds. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, what I'll also say to like when I'm employing new people and uh, and we're talking about their dogs. When I employ someone, they have to either have the background that I've talked about. They've had need to have experience with young people, and they also need to have a dog. <laughs> um, and that dog needs to be healthy um, it needs to have an interest in people it needs to be able to be able to be trained I've, I've got a fairly um, a good setup with how I, I train my staff and um, I have another um, business dogmanship Australia who helps us with our training process as well so all the trainings there so um, but once we've got all of that um, the dog needs to be able to have the energy to be able to do four sessions in a day 
if they want to work sometimes with the dogs like the Samoids and things like that or dogs with um, short noses like the Australian Bulldog or the British Bulldog uh, they, they get hot by the end of the day and they're sort of like piked <laughs> just you know flat and yeah. and it's not that your dogs are performing monkey they're allowed to be tired but if you can't get anything out of them by the fourth lesson then you either have to decide that um, I'm going to work part of the day or I'm going to um, train up another dog and have two dogs. And when Oscar and Minnie were heading towards retirement, that's what I was doing with my new ones. Um, so, yeah, you, it, it's, it's an interesting business to run because when I'm talking about staffing, if my staff, my staff could be sick as in the human could be sick or if the dog's sick, then the human and dog team can't go. So um, we need to have healthy dogs that can keep on working. So, yeah, we've got a few Kelpies because they just, you know, they're, they're just absolute guns. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd really like to get – when I do a lot of online now, you know, for obvious reasons, but, you know, when I go back to face-to-face, -face, you, know, you know, I'd really like to get uh, – that, that corgi is called Nina. I'd really like to kind of get Nina trained up as a therapy dog. So I kind of looked a little bit – a little bit at it. I mean, mm -hmm. she loves people and she's really friendly, but you know, she's pretty jumpy at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, mm -hmm. so but it's something that I'd I'd like to do. You know, maybe just having having her in the room when I see clients, and perhaps taking her to. There's quite a lot of um, kind of uh, old people's homes here. Just maybe just taking. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I would do it. Wouldn't charge for it, but just think it must be so. You know, it would be really nice for me, really to see the mm. effects or you know that she would have on you know on, on the people that she was around it's such a nice thing really it's it's so much fun mark we yeah we, when we used to do face to face we used to do pro bono work um with uh we'd go into like fairs or um festivals where there's kids and um and we'd have like a, a reading corner or a cuddle corner with the dogs and the kids would come up. And we worked a little bit um, with a Sudanese, um, Sudanese community in Melbourne where the young kids were coming wanting to see the dogs, but the adults were often very scared of the dogs. Um, so it was really lovely to see the kids starting to get comfortable and cuddling the dogs and being around the dogs and then calling their parents in to just it's okay you can pat this one and um and yeah like we would just come away buzzing from those experiences it was and, and it's good it's also good training for your dog so going to aged care or whatever is it, it's good practice for what your dog needs to do and i've got to say that there are some really good courses um out there, uh, animal assisted therapy courses. Um, the, um, I now train my own staff, so if they don't, if they haven't already. Hi everyone, we had a bit of a sound issue. Uh, we noticed there's a gap in the audio. Um, we lost sound, so we apologize for the random jump to another segment. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I, I train, so when we're looking at, um, getting our dogs trained there are a few different ways to do it so canine comprehension um, now will train their own um, dog and tutor team so they have uh, online components and face-to-face -face work that they can do with me but they can also have come in um, and have worked or done a course with other groups as well animal therapies ltd is a um, is a body that is um, has set itself up to be able to link therapies and um, animal assisted training um, so to sort of link the whole 
animal assisted therapies in Australia together. So they're, they're a good one to look for, um, Mark, if you're looking at training. Uh, in Victoria, I, I um, am a big fan of uh, Lead the Way and Lead the Way do um, a dog assisted therapy, but they also now do horse and I think a couple of others. So they're, they're a really good course. I guess when people are looking at um, doing a course for animal assisted therapy, they want to, there's a few components that they want to make sure that they're getting um, obedience training for their dog that is actually useful and successful. So you were saying, you know, your little dog, Nina jumps. Um, you want to be taught and have successfully um, achieved that Nina doesn't jump by the end of the course. So, and mm. I find um, dogs laying on bed is really important or to hold a boundary is also really important. That can be really um, a safety thing for the dog as well. If I need to get them out of the room, but they'll stay out and just hold that boundary. That's an important one too. Um, but also having being able to recognize your dog's body language is a huge element when it comes to making sure that everyone in the room is safe. So a lot of people, uh, because they love their dog so much, they misread or, or um, don't see a lot of their body language signs in their dogs that are showing the dogs fearful or that they just don't want to hundred percent be there. So in the course, if you're taught, you know, when your dog is worried or concerned and you can either change the environment or, you know, do intervene in some way, um, it makes sure everybody is safe, of course. And, um, and, and also talking about risk analysis here. So as you could imagine, like my business is built on kids improving their lives with dogs. And so we have, you know, I'm, I'm think, lucky to say, and it doesn't really have anything to do with luck, that we're incident free. There's never been a bite or a snap or a growl or anything like that. Um, but it doesn't come by accident. It comes from just training and knowledge, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's but it, it is worth all of the, the input there, but I really am a big advocate of people doing it right, people getting trained, their dogs being trained, and then maintaining that training like you would for any, you know for, for any other um, mode that that you work on. Otherwise, it's it's not healthy for the dog. It, it diminishes the industry, and it's not good for the for the clients either. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Because when I was kids. When I was little, I never really had a very good experience with dogs, especially big dogs. So I was quite fearful mm -hmm. of them. So I used to avoid them. If someone had a dog in my house, I'd have to put the dog to away because I was scared of the dog. Um, and then I moved, because I'm originally from London, um, I moved here to live with my partner. And my partner had three families. One of them lives elsewhere now, lives at sister-in-law's house. Um, so we had three families. And my mum was a bit worried about me living with dogs because I'd never lived with dogs before. And I'd obviously always had a fear of do bigger dogs. And then the minute I moved in, I just remember walking in and sitting down and the oldest dog, who now this is a sister-in-law, came over and just sat on me, just lay herself on me. <laughs> and from that point onwards, I've, it's weird. Like, the fear just kind of just went out the window. Like, I'm not scared of big dogs anymore. I just feel so much more relaxed around yeah. them. And that dog think, was a good teacher. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, good. I think because I'd never had good experience with dogs. I think having that, no, knowing that I can trust the dog not to do anything or growl at me or bite me or anything. Yeah. I think 
that kind of eased my way towards other dogs. It, it's like a relationship, um, like with, with anyone else, uh, with the dogs. If, if you've had um, negative um, or, you know, a relationship in the past with a dog or even a small time that the dog has scared you, of course, you're going to be a little bit um, worried that that's going to continue to happen. And then when you get an opportunity to have a positive relationship with the dog and a positive exchange, um, that builds up our, um, our ability to, to want to do it more and to want to make those connections. We, we, we do get kids that are scared of dogs when we start. And there, there was one um, young person that I loved the first starting. We did the first three lessons with the young at, at the young person's house with them in their living room, looking out the window with the window open and the tutor and the dog in the front garden. But that's as far as they'll allow it. They had such a fear of the dog. They needed that glass. barrier and so what we started doing is we started to give the dog commands so to, to, to get the dog to sit by using their voice and, and we, we talk about using different tones so so getting their serious voice going and it's like good dog sit and then when they do it well it's like good dog good dog so changing tones and so what the child was realizing is that the dog could listen to me and could be in voice control um, even when I'm in the in the living room and the dogs outside so from there we were talking to the um, to the mother about bringing the dog into just the front door and seeing how they go we opened the door on like the third session and uh, the kid just welcomed the dog in grabbed the lead and just brought them straight into the living room and it, it just it fell away like that it was no more step by step. we didn't change anymore it was just like oh no safe this dog listens to me I've seen that it's doing okay and yeah and then we started to change tutors and dog teams for that child so they would get different dogs it wasn't just like that dog's okay and we we never had to do the um, front garden window thing again the kid was just ready to accept more dogs which was yeah really lovely to see because like it's lovely to have dogs in your life. So it's sad if, if, if kids miss out like that, if they're fearful. Yes, um, my nephew's only ever really been, but he's only three years old and he's only ever really been about around big dogs. The little dog comes from near him, he normally hides behind his mum. But they, we've recently got German Shepherd puppy and he she lives with them and he absolutely adores her, like, because she lives with them and they have that relationship where it's in the safety of his own home. He loves her to yeah. dip, like he'll play with her, he'll throw a toy for her, like it, very like, I think kids having positive experiences around dogs when they're young is very essential. Mm. It is, and, and it, that once again, you know, I guess I used to be a dog trainer, so I will always say a lot of it, it comes, we, sometimes we get lucky and we have dogs that, can really read people's body language really well and they're just are just chill dogs and 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 nice with people from day with dog but most dogs are, do get overexcited and and jump up and inadvertently scare especially kids because they're like dog height often mm. so 
Um, they're, they're not meaning to. Like Labradors are a good example of that. Labradors are a great family dog, but they're often relegated to the back garden for so long because they're just too excited. And, you know, owners are having to wait until arthritis sets in before this dog will stop being so rambunctious around the family. So the, the connection is lost because the kids are not able to play with the dog because the dog's overly excited. All of that is to do with training. And, and to do with getting the dog to understand that um, in certain situations, behaviour needs to be um, changed a little bit. And, you know, there's there's times that even my dogs with some kids can play, you know, like you can play full on and you can run around, the dog can bark. But most of the time it's four paws on the ground and, you know, you only come up when you're invited to and you don't lick, um, you don't sniff, uh, you don't, you know, poke your nose in to sniff and so those manners are, are a human concept they're not a dog concept so we have to teach the dog where the boundaries are and there's so many dogs that would make you know even better family dogs or or therapy dogs or you know have have more interactions with people if we trained our dogs more I'm a, I'm a big advocate of yeah getting your dogs to understand their role in the human world yeah, I mean, with Nina, we took when, when Nina was a puppy, we took her to doggy school. And uh, I have to be honest, she's a very bad pupil. <laughs> she, she, she refused to do anything. We, we we train her in the house, and you know, yeah, she, yep. she, she'll do anything in the house. I mean, she'll spin around and do tricks, but you know, at the moment, you know, in the park. All of that just is gone <laughs> completely. So, you know, I really hear you about the you you just have to continue putting you, the, you do the, the effort in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like uh, I, I would hear a, a lot of owners say, Yep, you know, we did puppy school. Like, you know, the question, have you trained your dog? We did puppy school. Um, yeah, they didn't do too well. And, and and then what? And and I say, you know, if you finish at puppy school, it's like finishing a child at kindergarten and sending them out to the world going, Well, you did you did your schooling kindergarten was done isn't that all you need and and as kids grow they um, start to um, see the world differently and see their role in the world differently and it's the same as dogs you know and dogs go through those critical growth periods and um, we need to keep training throughout their lives so uh, you know it's a good to be a big advocate of lifelong learning and I guess that's for people as well as animals yeah definitely Yes. If anyone or any of our listeners wanted to kind of find you or find your company, where would, we, where would they look? Uh, for, I'd probably send you to the website, which is caninecomprehension.com.au. And so you spell out canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, comprehension.com.au. We're also on Facebook and as canon comprehension and um, in kid and dog photos that we just love to share. Um, and I personally, Sarah McDonald, am on LinkedIn and that's M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. So, yeah, um, okay. we really encourage, like I'm happy, of course, I want more kids connected to dogs. So I'm happy to talk about um, opportunities for one-on-one tutoring or school programs or holiday programs and those sort of things. We also work um, with NDIS clients um, so they can use their core support funding, which is really um, fantastic to be able to um, 
take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but also because of the growth of the business, we are really um, looking to hire more wonderful practitioners and, um, and people who want to work part-time for us. So if you hear this and think, gosh, that would be a great job, then getting in touch with as well. Uh, or if you've got any questions about the industry, I, I've been in it for a while now, so I could just point you in the right direction. Always happy for that sort of stuff. Awesome. Um, well, one thing we've started this series um, on season two, we've obviously done another on our second series now. We always ask our guests to give their favourite bit of advice um, in regards to mental health. What would your My favourite favorite bit of advice? Um, I, I would say be as open as you can with the people that are in your life. Um, I'd say, and professionally and personally, um, if I'm having a bad week and, and, and my anxiety is really high or my depression's, you know, not allowing me to be the boss I want to be or the, the, um, the friend I want to be, if I... Um, if I just tell people close to me, you know, I'm just, and I don't have to say a lot. I'll just say, you know, I'm just having, having one of those days or having an up day or a down day. Um, then they know to be able to not take it personally, my, um, my cancelling or, or to uh, just to give me a little bit of space. Um, instead of if I didn't tell people and I wasn't as open with it, um, I would be, I think I'd be forever disappointing people. So um, you know, you don't have to give people the whole, you know, ins and outs of all of your stories. But to start trusting that um, people do want to know where you're at and they want to be able to help in any way they can. And sometimes that's just giving you some time or giving you extra space or whatever it is. So, yeah, just, just be real and honest with it. Mike, did you have anything you'd like to add or any more questions you have? No, I mean, I know at the end, I just wanted to say what an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Sarah, and what amazing work you do. I mean, wow. Yeah. It's been really, really enjoyable finding out more about it. Yeah, thank you oh, so much for joining thanks. us. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Like, I, I, I um, really wanted to talk um, more, you know, to people who are just talking very much in the mental health space so you're doing a great job with this podcast guys so just yeah keep going and keep getting those goals congratulations on the thousand thank you um yeah well uh, when we've um when uh, we release the episode we'll show your links and stuff on our social media um so thank you again to sarah for joining us and thank you to mark for helping co-host you again um and thank you to our listeners for <laughs> tuning in um, we'll be back with another episode tomorrow where we'll be talking about women and mental health. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. Great. No, thanks. Hi. Good to meet you, Sarah. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You'll find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritans, suicide helpline, but Remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before. And 
talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.